Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Lost in the Groove with your host, Mike and Dave. Today, we'll be talking about life, society, as well as we can make things better, start a new day for a better tomorrow. Let's continue with the intro music so we can start today's podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to Lost in the Groove. Uh, today is a very special episode. This is season two, episode 10, the finale of season two, Culture, Race, and Society. It's been absolutely amazing, guys. Uh, like always, our sponsor for today's video is Anchor. And please, please make sure to check out our Patreon page. Uh, which is Lost in the Groove, so you can be one of our Patreon members, get to see one of our bonus videos, and, of course, hear what's going on in the community. Today, we have a special guest star, Mira D, tarot reader, incredible aficionado, spiritual healer, and a guide to show us a world that's very misunderstood, full of conflicts, the humanity, the species, and is. Uh, without further ado, let's uh, turn the attention to Mira D. Would you like to say hello to the Lost in Groove family? Hey, how's it going, Lost in the Groove family? <laughs> I'm Mira D. I'm really excited to be here with Mike and Dave and to be here with y'all. What up, what up? I'm just, um, yeah, I'm happy to be here and I'm ready to talk about some things and spread some wisdom and just kind of share ideas because I really feel like this is what the world is missing is the ability to share ideas and to come together and to talk about those things in a way that makes an impact and possibly leaves us changed when we walk away from here. So, you know, so I'm grateful to be here. New possibilities, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Mike. Oh, Mike. Would you like to take this last episode in the season would you I'm, like I'm to so, start yeah I'm, I'm so excited that uh we've made it to episode 10 Woo, baby! <laughs> you know as we've talked about before it's um it's, we've come 10 weeks and uh we're still going strong it's really exciting to have mira d here um really really cool perspectives uh very interesting enlightening and um you know uh, I want to say thank you for coming on, for making the time, and yeah, really, thank for being, you for for being part of this journey with us. Uh, what you'll share here today, I deeply hope that people will find benefit from. That will, you know, find something that's uh, useful and that it'll help them grow uh, when uh, when they listen and they go about their lives afterwards. So, um, let's start with like, you know, who are you? Yeah, who are you, Mira D? Who am I'd like I? To that know. is a very, very broad question. I am, <laughs> do we want the, the earth answer or do we want the ever-evolving, spiritual, expansive answer? <laughs> yes, that's so, what we want. Yeah, that's yeah. the one we want. Yes, second that, one. Yes, yeah, second one. 100%. Go for All it. All right. So um, my name is Mira D. I am part of my, part of what I do here is read tarot, but I do so much more than that. Um my main mission here is to heal, to grow, and to give other people permission to heal and to grow and to like accept who they are. Um, I love food. 
Food Who doesn't love food? <laughs> like the best thing ever. So um, as far as who I am, I, I'm basically, I, what I'm here for is basically to, um, like I said, help other people to like move into themselves. But as for me, I, that's a really hard question to answer. Like, I mean, who am you know, I? I mean, you're, you're, you're a mother, you're a husband, you, you do all these things, you know, um, you're interested in human uh, evolution, growth. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a mother, so I'm a mother of two. Um, I'm a mother of two. I have two daughters. One is 18. One is nine. They're both really wow. amazing kids. Wow. And um, I was a chef before this. I I was formerly a chef um, up in ah. Boston, all over the place. So I love to cook, and I mean that's why I love to eat because that's why I you have love food. To yeah. It's yep. funny. It's funny because we actually now have something in common. I've worked in the food industry for about six years, and I worked as a line cook. I used to work mm. on the cold. I used to work on the cold pass. Uh, those days, sous chef always screaming and yelling at you. What the fuck are you doing, you idiot, you moron? Go back in there and redo it. Come here. Saute was my favorite station, and like I was just telling my landlord slash friend about how like being on the saute station and cooking during a rush especially with modifications on the ticket was oh, my favorite God. because it was like my zen practice like i just i loved it so much um aside from that what do i do um i i'm a creator so i'm an artist i do painting with acrylics sometimes oils i do organite pyramids and resin art i also am learning how to play the banjo Ooh, that's a huge thing cool. for me I love music. I sing as well. So I sing, I dance, and I just basically feel like basically who I am in this moment, like consists of all those things. But I'm just so excited to see who I become, like, you know, as I expand, as I grow. And I really do believe that anything is possible because I'm like, you know, who will I be by the time I'm 40? Like, I'm super excited for it. So um, those are some of the things that I do. But helping people and allowing people to heal and giving them the space to do that is a thing that I really enjoy. I also am a big nature lover. I love to kayak. I love to um, spend time with, you know, family and friends and things like that as well. So I'm very community oriented and stuff as well. So yeah, that's mainly what I do. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, you, it you've, is. Got, uh, you've got a quite a, you know, background in, in the creative arts and um, like you said, there's so much going on that you're doing all these things and uh, the excitement in your voice about, you know, where you might be at 40 and how, how you will change and what you'll be doing. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a combination of all these things. Uh, they're, they all add to your personality too. Uh, and of course, to your potential future and what that might look like. We, we right. did talk about it briefly before we started that uh, it, it's, uh, and they were your words, you know, pe people have the the choice, the power is in their hands. So, you know, it's cool. I've never had the opportunity to sit down with a tarot card reader or, uh, you know, that I've never had the experience before. I mean, how did you discover it? And what what drew you to the work? I mean, I think part of that is you like helping people. You did say that. But how did you discover it? So I grew up in a really, really religious family, Southern Baptist in the middle of the hood, like deep, deep, deep Christians. And so um, when I was a kid, you know, 
I started having prophetic dreams when I was like seven. And so as a kid, you know how you just think that everybody's world is how your world is. And so I would just tell like, I would just tell my mom like these dreams that I would have and then small stuff would come to pass. Like sometimes like when my great grandmother passed and stuff like that, like that was like a huge thing that like I had a dream about and then it came to pass like a week or so later. And so, um, Naturally, she did what any like, you know, good Christian mother would do. She took me to the pastor and he was just basically like, you know, um, that this is a test from this is a test from God. Like, you know, uh, the devil is dear coming Lord. you. Oh, and I was Lord. like, and at seven, I just like I didn't know what resonating was back then, but I could feel that it was it didn't feel right to me. And I was like, and I'm huge on feelings. That's how I navigate my life. I do all kinds of stuff that don't make logical sense because I'm always following a feeling and I'm always in the right place when I do so. So anyway, um, we like, you know, I like went home and didn't feel right. So I wasn't scared. It just like didn't I didn't feel like I didn't feel like satisfied with the answer, you know. And so we a couple weeks later, we went to Borders Bookstore and um, before this moment, I thought that Borders Bookstore, back when that was a thing, was a uh, was just full of Bibles and children's books. And so I go up to this lady and I'm like, hey, do you have any books on dreams? And she's like, say no more. And she introduced me to the whole metaphysical section, which ironically was in the same aisle, like directly across from the Bibles. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because the religious, we have the, we had Borders, um, but I think that one out of business, we have Barnes and Nobles and they have, same kind of thing. It's interesting that you bring this up because I have, I'm able to read people very, very well. Something that I've had for a very, very long time. I had a long time ago, a friend of mine, she was dating this really abusive boyfriend when I was living in Israel and she was going to go see him in Tel Aviv. We lived in Jerusalem. It was about an hour by bus. I told her, I said, if you go to his apartment, he's not going to be there. And I promise you, if you go to the friend's house, and you're there, you're going to see him cheating with his best friend. I'm telling you this. No, no. I'm like, I'm telling you. He doesn't seem like he's interested. He doesn't want to have anything physical. She didn't listen to me. She went there. Sure enough, she calls me up three, three or four o'clock in the morning crying on the phone. And she's like, you're right. Oh, my God. I found it. How did you know? I said, I didn't know. I just sensed off of you like what was going on. And I just had a picture and I was able to connect with that. And I I can't read minds. I don't have any psychic powers. It's just, you have many people have this. Some people have it more than others, but you're able to pinpoint on certain things, whether it be true or not. Right. Right. I agree with that a hundred percent. Like, and that's kind of how my life is though. Like I was saying, like I follow the feeling. It's like, I get a feeling and the feeling is so strong that I'm like, look, this don't make no sense, but I'm going to go to the grocery store and stand in the parking lot at three in the morning for no reason. And then there's just randomly some guy that is like, hey, are you looking for a job? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But it's always something positive, not something super sketchy like that. But um, I think we all do have the innate ability, though, to like, it's, I think it's like the difference between discernment and like, um having to like logically break things down. And so it's like, we do have that ability. I think that we, it's a natural thing, but similarly, that's how I was when I was younger. Um, It started with like feelings and visions and stuff like that. And then once I found this book, the hidden power of dreams, like it was like, it explained everything to me in a way that I had never, like it was, it made so much sense to me. And so um, 
I got real deep into it. I like dove into like, you know, dream work and stuff like that and how to heal through dreams, how to use this as positive stuff to help people, like how to, how these abilities that I had and stuff like that um, were good things, you know, were positive things. And so then I branched off to, into all these other different areas. And I was like 10 years old studying feng shui in the hood and like... <laughs> My mom and my mom was so confused. But how I got into tarot is that eventually because of my religious upbringing and because I was so young, when I hit around 12 years old, I got so good at like the being in tune with my intuition and like the prophetic dreaming and stuff that I started to question whether what I was doing was right or wrong. And I was like, ooh, like maybe what I'm doing is going to send me to hell. And so um, <laughs> I Satan so, have mercy. <laughs> So to avoid my dance with the devil, <laughs> I went on ahead and like, you know, put my books away. And at the ripe old age of 12, I retired from the mystical arts for about nine months until I realized that it's up to everybody to figure out what their own path is and that um, it's important for us to embrace our own gifts and stuff because I felt empty without doing it. Like, and so um, without like doing it and practicing and being in touch with my spirituality. So I picked up tarot cards as a way to reconnect to my intuition since I had kind of like subconsciously blocked off my dreams and stuff. And so at 13, I picked up my first deck of cards and it's now been 20, 20 years since my last, since I last picked up my cards. Wow. Since I first picked up my cards. That's pretty amazing. I You're, mean, yeah, it is. You know, the fact that it happened so early for you. Um, so, you know, something that both of you said, like feelings are, very important and i think people disregard them so much um as just coincidence but uh you know thought emotion feeling uh karma's a bitch karma's a bitch as they say (laughs) i mean depends on what you do and how you choose to live you know yeah but even more interesting that like at that time in your life at 12 you found yourself questioning like if you were doing the right things and um, you know, I sense that uh, at that age, you know, it was mostly fear that that governed that um, that thought process of, you know, maybe I should step away from this. Uh, and fear is such a huge part of life. Um, you know, pe- people do things out of fear or don't do things out of fear. And, yeah. Um, and inevitably, um, that has a consequence or an outcome that uh, sometimes is good or sometimes is bad. But um it's yeah. really great that nine months later you you came back to it and you wanted to re-explore it uh what changed your mind nine months later so i like to think of it as nine months later i was just giving birth to a new version of myself to the full version of myself so um what changed my mind was just like the fact that i felt empty without my practices it was the first time i felt fulfilled and i didn't I, like I, as a kid i didn't have like the the verbiage for what I was experiencing, but I felt like I was, I felt really purposeful. I felt really connected. I felt um, really good. And once I let that go, I almost felt like I was like suppressing a piece of myself. Like I was locking myself, like a piece of myself in the closet. And it just like, it was beating on the door. And so when I did actually like, you know, step past that fear and allow myself to like kind of explore and question because that's part of like, you know, the deep religion too, is that you're not supposed to question things. And so like, no, of course, of course not. You're supposed to either ask the, uh, the Pope or the rabbi and he'll give you the answer. That's how how it is. I was, I was raised in a religious home. Uh, the crazy thing is 
I had like around when I was 12 or 13, I was figuring out my religious faith, my sexuality, and they kind of morphed became to become one thing. It's so weird and how my sexuality and my my beliefs are kind of the same thing because I was raised where being gay is not welcomed, especially if you're more on the feminine side. And I had my beliefs that believed that the world is one. We're all connected. And just like you want to treat, you want yourself to be treated, you treat others. Because of that kind of mentality, they kind of morphed. So, yeah, you do. You become like a new, it is like a whole new person. But it's kind of like a mixture, you know, of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. But it's not one is more than the other. They just kind of sit there. And they kind of just become one thing you can hold. I feel like we're always moving into like this state of like becoming more of ourselves and discovering more of ourselves. And I think that's why they say that like we can never really know ourselves like because like at that age, I became like this new version of who I am and like overcame different fears and stuff that allowed me to be closer to my truth. But again, that's just like the rest of life and everything like that. And I appreciate you sharing the perspective on um, sexuality, being close to the way you view spirituality as well, because I look at them as one and the same and always have. Um, when I, I had my first daughter when I was 15, so it was like just really getting to explore that aspect of things, like how my how my sexuality and my um, spirituality meshed into one. And for for like a good example is like my daughters, both of their names came from dreams. And so that was like a huge thing for me. They both gave me their names through dream. And that's like how they got their names and stuff like that. And so um, really connecting those dots and looking at how everything in that realm, in the realm of like spirituality and sexuality is just like really is like deeply connected. It's the same thing to me. Like it's like this is very, very much the same thing to me. What do you, <clears throat> I know this is a hard question to answer, but like, what do you find in common with people you find misfortune in? So, um, find misfortune in, in what way? Misfortune either being someone that had either something physical to themselves. So <clears throat> an example is someone that either lost a loved one and there's conflict between themselves and the person that's now deceased or kind of in the same realm where you have a conflict of family against family you know that that kind of misfortune where one's battling over the other because one is about to lose something in return uh in, in that kind of way you know a person having that type of misfortune i don't know mike if you have any other way of describing this i you know i feel like before we get to that question and it's a it's a an important one. It's something that I did think about, but something that uh, Mira had mentioned before we began is like the process of how she does this work, and it made me rethink that question a little bit. You know, um, what had you said? You said, well, you know, it's it's not necessarily fortune that you read or or misfortune that you that you um, see in people that come to you. Um, I feel like maybe we, we can begin there. Like, how does this, how does it work uh, for you when people do come to you and they're seeking, like, first question would be when people do come to you, what's the first thing they're, they're 
you know, what's the first question? What's the first thing they're looking for? So usually the first thing people are looking for is for me to give them the answers. That's usually what people are looking for. People want me to tell them what next week is going to look like. People want me to tell them um, that, you know, a lot of times they have like preconceived notions about like what they want to hear. So that's also like a whole different realm of things. But um, I think what people are actually looking for is, um, is hope a lot of the time. I think they're looking for hope. I think they're looking for validation. I think they're looking for um, understanding you know, with themselves and stuff though as well. So they're, they're looking, and I think that part of it too is that they they know these things. And that's what I find with a lot of people is that they know these answers already, but they just haven't trusted themselves to have the answers. So then they come to me. So um, does that make sense? Yeah. And in the, in a similar, you know, context, I mean, they come to you looking for some of those answers and what's the, what does the process look like exactly? Um, as you go through the cards and you did mention some of this and I would like the listeners to hear it. Um, you know, from my own experiences, I can say that I've never done this, but from from my perspective, it's it's always been that like there are powerful people out there like yourself that do possess something very special. There are also going to be those that um, maybe not so much, and it's just a, a like a money mechanism uh, mm-hmm. playing on or preying on people's hopes and just kind of giving them what they want to hear. Um, and so I, I would say. As you've done this and you have seen that most people are seeking something very similar, we'll go back to the question like you you have experienced people that come to you that may have a lot of misfortune. And what have you seen in those readings? If you're allowed to say, I don't know if there's any. Yeah. So in those readings, what I usually see is that there is what I usually see is that there are patterns that are being created. And um a lot of times these patterns are being created by a belief that the person has a lot of times and they don't realize it because they're like, maybe they have a belief that they're not worthy of having like a certain type of relationship. So to make themselves feel safe, they'll date people who are below, who are below what they're, what they would normally date, you know? And so then they get in these situations that could otherwise be avoided, you know, if they, didn't have the belief in the way or so for instance too like what I'll see is sometimes it's like the way that people grew up or whatnot what they grew up seeing love look like what they grew up seeing success look like what they grew up like you know um understanding financially too because when we're children that is where we get our our blueprint for what these things are supposed to look like and I think that a lot of times we kind of get this idea that we're naturally supposed to just be able to know how to love or how to like you know do the things that are best for us. But if we didn't have those examples growing up, then a lot of times we tend to repeat those patterns. And that's why they say that people um, tend to date people who are like their parents. And that is to say that a lot of times what I see when people are experiencing misfortune is that they're creating the situation themselves, but that they're not aware of how they're created. It's more of a subconscious thing they're kind of on autopilot with it and stuff like that. And that um, the first step to getting people to move forward is to help them to, in a loving way, recognize what 
that pattern is and it's then start to take steps from there. It's <clears throat> it's interesting because you mentioned with the thing with the parents, you know, I I haven't dated anyone in four years. <clears throat> and the reason was is that I was dating people or with people and just every single one of them were assholes. And my father, unfortunately, is not alive anymore. He was a he was a really good man. He cared a lot about his family, but he was a bit of an asshole. Uh, and, you know, you, you kind of continue that pattern. And I got to a point I'm like, I can't do this. This is going to put me in places where I do not want to be and I don't want to deal with. Uh, but you have to you have to realize the problem before. That's the thing. If you don't realize the problem and you keep on doing it and then someone's like, OK, you really need to get help for this. It's not that like you're telling them something they've never known, like they know this. Right. But it's where they now see the picture in front of them before the mirror was covered. But now the mirror is not covered anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes it does take for you to hear from an outside perspective, you know, um, and maybe somebody that's not related to you, maybe somebody that's like, you know, a stranger, essentially, because I don't know why I don't know why we do that, though. It's like, well, if a stranger tells me, then like, you know, oh, OK, I believe it. But, oh, my cousin's been telling me for years that I should move forward from this. So, like, um, <laughs> so then we do it's well, a, or then we don't. It's a um <clears throat> It's a different point of perspective, you know, like the the whole thing, like, oh, you get a second opinion from a mm-hmm. doctor. It's not that you don't trust the doctor. It's just that you want a second opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't maybe it has to do with the family member, but maybe it also has to do with the fact that a person just like wants like I hear you, but you're also coming from a biased perspective as well. Uh, maybe I want to hear a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it would work in, with two family members depends on the person. But you're right. Sometimes people do feel more comfortable consulting with strangers. It's interesting. It's interesting because we're raised to stay away from strangers when we're a kid. That could very, that could very well be the fact that um, you know, talking to a stranger, there might be less, um, just less judgment. You know, uh, family, parents, they 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 always judge with disapproval, um, and that's where it's possible that people feel more comfortable with a stranger that um, like this person's not going to judge me the same way. Or uh, a lot of people will have the, um, the preconceived idea that if I told my parents or a family member, I already know what they're going to say. Like we've all done this as kids um, uh, relating to virtually anything. If I, if I told this to my mom, I know exactly how she's going to react and she's going to hate it and she's going to disapprove. And so um, and I, I think that's, um, that could be a, a big factor for a lot of people feeling comfortable with a stranger that it's not going to be a predictable answer. I, at the same time, it, it might still hurt if they get the answer that they already thought they might get from their parents that like, damn, even a stranger is telling me this, maybe, maybe it's true after all. Um, but just like you said, uh, Mira, that uh, it's still in the hands of the individual to uh, to actually decide. Like, you can give them the tools. Um, what they do with it is still up to them. Yeah, I agree with that, and I like the way you put that because 
that does put things into perspective for me because our family does judge us in a certain way. And it hurts because we're personally connected to those people, you know? And so when our families judge us and things like that, it hurts in a different way than if you have some stranger sitting across the table from you, like, you know, telling you about yourself. I think it's also like a little bit easier to like with the cards, like, I can see similarly to Dave, like I can see into people, like I can read people and I can like, you know, just see the depths of things. And so when you have somebody across the table who doesn't know you or know anything about your situation and they're telling you these things, I think that that can bring a whole nother level to it than like somebody who's been there, who's watched things, who's observed, who already has opinions of your life and what you should be doing and of your boyfriend and of your friends and all that stuff. So it's not so personally tied to it. So it does make a lot of sense. It's um, it, it's such a unique experience um, in terms of living life. Uh, I, I trip out about it so often. I've uh, I've done mushrooms for so many years now, and um, the the amount of insight that comes where it it reveals so much to me. Uh, it's uh, it, it's an amazing growth tool. And we did discuss some of this uh, before beginning. And I, I know you did say that uh, it's a, a facet of um, some of the, the healing that, that you explore and you help others explore too. Um, can you kind of talk about that process? Um, how do you know if you encounter somebody that you think might be able to benefit from an experience like that? You know, it, just to throw just to throw something on, you did mention ayahuasca. Right? Yes, and <clears throat> I think if you can, uh, lo- love to hear the answer from Mike's question. But also throw in, um, I took ayahuasca. I'm curious in regards to your experience on how that would be also a way of a person having that exploration as well as that adventure for themselves. What that perspective can be as well. Okay, so. Um... So, Mike, you were asking basically how um, how I think that the plant medicine experience could be good for people. Is that what you were asking or were you still asking about the tarot aspect of it? Well, it's a little bit of both because people will come to you and they'll they'll seek advice or insight. And from your from your experience, how do you identify those that you feel might benefit um from those healing experiences that uh, you talked about before. Um, And of course, in the same respect, like how do you decide if it's going to be ayahuasca or mushrooms or cannabis or, or whatever it may be Um, because there Um, there are many different tools and some of them may lead to different results or sometimes the same. So what I look at mostly first, I go off on a feeling like, you know, I go off the feeling of like, you know, I can gauge what how to like serve things to people so that they don't feel pressured or attacked and get defensive and then move themselves further away from the healing. So that's the first thing is it's just like it's a just a talent that I have to be able to just like pick out where engage where people are. Now, as far as what plant medicine they should do once I'd like, you know, decide, okay. They will be open to it. Their willingness to change, their willingness to change and how actually done with their situation they are, how much change they actually want to make. Because with mushrooms and stuff like that, like 
I've experienced mushrooms. I've like sat with ayahuasca several times. And so part of what I tell people is like with mushrooms, if you want to get some insight and you want to make some like, you know, shifts and changes and like, you know, get some new ideas, open your mind. Cool. Mushrooms is it. What about, you know, for, okay. So this is the thing is I did ayahuasca once, but <clears throat> I've read a lot and I've seen this in a lot of places in regards to grieving. So ayahuasca can be really great for a person that's grieving. Why? Because it basically turns on your subconscious and you're basically able to have this incredibly vivid dream where you can kind of have a conversation with the person that's passed and be able to get off of. But there are other uh, type of plant or medicinals that you can use besides ayahuasca. Another one is peyote. You can use peyote as a way of person hearing the one that's passed voice. So how do you decide when if a person has grief and they need to grieve these are both great things to give over but how do you decide which one to give over because again it comes down to the willingness to change because while you may heal grief in like you know an ayahuasca ceremony an ayahuasca ceremony is intense it's it's extreme i've said 11 times and i am and it's still an intense experience for me it is um but like what I would say is because when you go in, you might deal with that grief. But I tell people that when you go into an ayahuasca ceremony, you have to be ready for the fact that you're at, your whole life might change. Everything might change. So you might go in and deal with grief, but you may also be cutting ties or dealing with other traumas and things like that. Like you really don't have any control over where the journey takes you. It's where, you know, the grandmother medicine more so sees you need to you need to move these things like in order to grow and you may not consciously be ready for that. And so that's what I tell. Um, that's what I tell people as well. Like, it's like, you know, if you're ready for your entire life to change, like ayahuasca, but if you need some insight and you need like, you know, um, help moving forward and you need to expand your mind and you need to get into like, you know, just transform, but maybe not like completely uproot yourself because it can be for people who are not ready for that type of change and who don't really feel called to the medicine and stuff like that, it can be very jarring to come back into the physical world and to recognize that the things that you used to love or like things like that um, don't serve yeah. you anymore. For instance, like my very first ceremony was really, really, really intense, but I was ready for my entire life to change. And the medicine literally showed up next door to me when I was in California. And um, I um, before that, I struggled really bad with alcoholism and depression and all kinds of other things. And after that ceremony that night, like I picked up one beer, never drank again. And so let's put this into perspective. August, I left uh, St. Louis in August on a visit and I was like still drinking, like, you know, still like really depressed, like still just like granted, I was still like doing other stuff. I was like a functional, really bad alcoholic. <laughs> so um, anyway, I leave say I came for a visit in August and I leave and um, I run into the ayahuasca ceremony and then I come back in December and nobody knows how to, how to interact with me. And so everybody's like, let's go out and get a drink. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't drink anymore. Well, like, let's go like to this restaurant. And I'm like, well, I don't eat meat anymore. And they're like, oh, well, like let's smoke a cigarette. And I'm like, well, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. And I'm like, oh snap. I don't know how to interact with any of the people. And they are very shocked too, because like, in a five month span who I like, who they thought I was completely changed because the things that I was doing, they were based in trauma and like habits rather than who I actually am. And so um, that's what I mean as far as like whether people should do ayahuasca or mushrooms. It's like, 
are you ready for that intense the possibility that that intense of a change could occur? Whereas mushrooms that can happen, but it's lesser of a chance that that happens. It, it's funny because um, <clears throat> when I took peyote, I took peyote in the Mesa desert in Israel. And ever since I took peyote, I hear music way more different than anyone. And it's the point where when I hear David Bowie album, I don't just hear him singing. I hear the cello in the background. I hear the the sense of the drums hitting. I hear the bass playing. I hear every single part individually. And no one could understand me. I met one person in the past three years. And immediately when I told him like, oh, you know that Pink Floyd song where he drops the bass and then you have the guitar in the back that starts sitting. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. You don't feel alone, but you remember that you have this thinking because you put yourself through this process. Mm-hmm. So I feel you 100 percent on that. <laughs> I do appreciate it, though. It's nice whenever I just put on a record or a vinyl. It's just it's very eye opening. You should have seen my heart just light up when you were like the cello and the background and all these little details. I'm like, I feel you <laughs> <laughs> like somebody understands. Oh. You know, it's Simon and Garfunkel. They're a very good example of this. They mainly played guitar, but there are some of his songs. If you listen very carefully to the notes, the way that it's played and the way that it's strummed, it's a very echoing sound. It's like a constant ringing in your ears. And afterwards, this is like I I was doing this with my guitar teacher immediately starts playing those chords, whether it's not being a Simon and Garfunkel song. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that song on that album? Because it has that, that ghostly echoing that just continues and continues and continues and continues. Yeah. One of the many wonders. Hi, Mike. I'm there. <laughs> uh, you sound like my brother. The first time I gave my brother um, LSD, he had, went on this whole sound trip and he was like, he forgot that he had taken it and he went outside and he comes in. And he's like, I can hear everything. And like, it became his thing. And he's a musician as well. And he like loves music, but he loves music to a different degree since that experience. Yeah. He's like, sound hits him in a whole nother level. Like, <laughs> that's beautiful. Um, you know, you were talking about this before, Meredy. You, what do you find is the most interesting way people deal with constant patterns, the same ideals? You know, you were saying that sometimes people, they're blinded. They know the answers, but because they're having this conflict, you kind of give them that retrospect. But what's the story with people that have those patterns that just keep on doing the same things over and over again? Um, I think that a lot of times people are afraid to change because what they know is familiar. And it's like, and I think somewhere in their mind is safe because they know what to expect. And for most of us, like, especially with the way that, like, you know, we've been kind of programmed to be afraid of change. People are super afraid of the unfamiliar, you know, and so and it's uncomfortable as well. And so I think that when I see people with these patterns, that the main reason that they don't, the main reasons that I see that they don't change is just like lack of awareness, not knowing how to actually make the change and fear of, and fear of actually what comes after making the change. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, you, you had mentioned just your, um, your experiences with alcoholism. I, I can relate with that. I, I went through, 
uh, a decade of that myself. And um, it, it's the behavior definitely comes from trauma and many people in similar instances really don't know how to um, how to bring about the, the type of change they're seeking. Like they know something has to, but the behaviors continue um, and uh, recognizing it is the first step. It's uh, probably probably one of the easier ones, but uh, having the tools to be able to uh, begin implementing, you know, the changes so that you can see a, a change in that behavior specifically, or or the desire. Uh, I definitely want to say, like, I'm I'm proud of you. I'm I'm very happy to hear that uh, you found an experience that uh, changed your life so Thank drastically. Thank you. I really appreciate it's not an easy thing. Uh, alcoholism really sucks. Um, and, it does. Uh, you know, going through it, you just don't understand, like, why? Like, why do I keep doing this when when I know very well that it's just so destructive? Um, but behavior is a, a big a big part of it. Your, your past is a big part of it. Um, you, you know, you've overcome such a huge... Uh, such a huge uh, burden obstacle that, yeah so many people suffer from it uh, and uh, they don't know how to overcome it though I'm sure many would like to in some way mm-hmm. the um, you know realizing that after the fact and after changing the behaviors you know you you see that your circle of influence just can't seem to relate anymore and you can't really relate to them. Um, like, what did you do in that situation? Did you, did you begin to change your circle of, uh, of peers? Uh, did you start cutting people out? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, I actually did have to, I tried to come back and I tried to build relationships with a lot of the people who I was like in that circle with. But the thing is, is that, moving back to when I was like trying to quit alcoholism and everything like that was that I learned, I never knew how to make friends outside of going to a bar. Like it was everything in my life that was social was surrounded by, you know, hanging out with people, going out for a drink, going to a restaurant. Oh, they don't have a bar. Well, why are we going there? You know what I mean? So like my whole life was surrounded by that. And so, um, I was it's also how I learned to cope. I came from a family of alcoholics. And as much as I was like, I'm never doing that. It was like once I like learned that that was the mechanism for coping, like I didn't know how to escape it because I had never learned any other way to deal with problems. Like, okay, well, I can solve this, but oh, this pain is getting too heavy. So let me go and have a drink. And so um, what did you do with those relationships? Huh? What did you do with those relationships specifically when, when you finally got back and you realized like you can't really connect the same way? And so I tried to like, you know, I tried to be around a lot of those people and stuff like that. And what happened is I started feeling like I was wasting time because there was a point in my life where I was like, well, what do people do if they're not drinking? Like, and now I'm like yeah. at this point where I'm like, oh my God, like I could be sitting on my couch, like playing with my toes and that's more productive than, you know, sitting here watching a bunch of people bury pain. And so because of that experience of understanding how how and why I drank, it became very hard for me to sit and surround myself with people who were also burying pain without wanting to change it, you know. And so um, while I still love those people to death and everything like that, it's like 
I can't be in a place where I'm holding myself back. So a lot of people hold myself back to stay with them when they also have the power to change when they're ready Um, or if they're ready. You know, it's not the same for everybody. So for me, with a lot of those relationships, I just distanced myself. I realized that most of them were based in codependency and addiction. A lot of them fell off on their own because people like, you know, oh, lost the drinking buddy. Cool. Like. Now we don't have anything else in common. So what I really started to discover in that process is genuine connection, what real connection felt like and stuff like that. And so initially it made me feel like, you know, kind of weird and sad and stuff like that because this was my gang for like, you know, it's my crew for a long time. And so it's like, but, um, now I got like a, like a, a connection crew. So, and, you know, so like I said, I still love those people. So most of them have, have like faded out of my life and stuff though too because also with that like being sober and watching that environment as well like is kind of weird also you see people kind of live these teenage patterns and like yeah man like i got fired today let's get a drink and i'm like (laughs) oh my grandma passed like let's drink it up and i'm like ah dude like we in our 30s now like it's not cool to bury your pain under the bottle we have to deal with these emotions and then i don't want to be that guy at the party so you want to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) it's understandable for sure and um it's it's very wise uh interesting interesting that um you know that uh you you put it in that way that you know all these people uh just burying their pain but at the same time like they're also projecting it to the the energy levels of uh, that kind of environment is so difficult when you have essentially leveled up that's what what happened to you you leveled up spiritually and emotionally and you know um it it becomes so burdensome you realize like i can't i can't take on the pain of everyone else you know, so it's great that they dropped off eventually. Um, I, going through addiction myself, I can say that uh, uh, life is full of addictions. You know, the the most harmful ones I've let go. Satan's thankfully. touch or t- Satan's you know, taste. <laughs> I, I've let, I've let, I've let <laughs> them behind, and, and I've grown substantially for it. And uh, in a lot of ways, you you realize that. Um, you know, your time could be spent better uh, doing things that are uh, more positive, have a more positive impact on your own life and others as well. It's fascinating to to hear stories like this and to see like how people uh, approached it um, and then what kind of changes they saw. Um, you know, can you can you give us a little more as to like, like after a year of that or two years of that, you you made new connections. Um, you know, did you find yourself feeling any, um, urges to go back to that lifestyle or did, did the ayahuasca completely like eliminate those, uh, those desires? Like you don't feel them at all. No, not Um, at all. Like I can, I even keep a bottle of like, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to cut you guys off. Um, we're kind of running into the half part of the show. I thought we could take a short little break. We'll kind of continue over this uh, when we come back, Miradi. So you can go ahead and answer this. Uh, we're going to just have a little commercial break and we'll be right back.
All right, guys, we are back for this incredible episode. Got an incredible person here with us, Mira D. So let's continue with Mira D. Would you like to answer the question? Yes. So um, the question you had asked me was how I was with alcoholism now. And like, you know, basically if I still had urges or if ayahuasca washed that away from me, um, basically how rebuilding my friendships has been and stuff like that too. And so when it comes to that, actually, yeah, no, I don't have cravings at all anymore. Like I even keep a bottle of like, um, whatever, a Buffalo trace or whatever type of alcohol for my ancestor altar and stuff like that. And I have absolutely no urges. Like I can go, like if I have a family member or somebody that has a party at like a bar or something like that, I can go there. And I guess the way like alcohol registers to me is like, I don't know, like a chair or like a pool table. It's just there. Like it doesn't have any, it's weird because part of what I, like, I feel like I died in that ayahuasca ceremony and came back on another timeline where like, like that's not even a thing that was ever really a part of my life It's um, after I had my first ceremony though, I drank, I drank one beer after that and like never drank again. Like I don't even like the way it makes me feel. And so like, because occasionally like I, I drank a kombucha once and that like just that trace amounts of alcohol in it made me like really sick and really aware of it. So no, I don't drink anymore um, or have any urges either. So it's really, really wild that it worked that way because if you had told me like, a few years ago that I would be in this space, I would have never believed you because I didn't, again, like I was saying about other people earlier, like I didn't see that this was possible for me. Like, you know, I knew I wanted it. I knew I wanted change. I didn't know how to execute that change. I didn't know what the other side of that looked like. And I also like really didn't know how to like socially interact without it uh as far as rebuilding relationships though it's been interesting because i'm finding that i have um a lot of my own issues surrounding like connection and things like that and what love looks like and like sabotaging that because um and not so much anymore but that was one of the initial things that i experienced is because back when I had my old friendships and stuff, I needed acceptance really badly. And so a lot of my friendships were based in like, you know, what I could do for other people and not necessarily what they were giving back. And so um, having balanced friendships has been uh, pretty tight. (laughs) And so recognizing that I've built an environment where it's safe for me to connect, it's safe for me to be vulnerable, having an environment of honest, caring people as well. Like, so, um, that's something that's huge for me. My landlord is my neighbor. (laughs) She's like one of my best friends. And, um, when I came back to St. Louis, I thought that this was going to be, I was coming here to ground by like, you know, getting in contact with some old people and, you know, reconnecting to a lot of old things. But it turned out that I was here to really create a whole different environment because, um, because I've changed as a person and, Um, So I can't make the same decisions I used to. And so what really has helped me in this situation, too, is to recognize that I have to be around people who are already connected to themselves. Um, As far as like who I surround myself with in a personal circle, people who are already connected to themselves. That way, there's no sacrifice on either end and we can just help each other grow and expand just through our interactions. And what I learned from the ayahuasca basically is that coming from a place of seeing how 
just terribly disconnected I was and how depressed I was and how purposeless I felt during that time that I was struggling. And then coming to a place where I wake up every day excited, like feeling really connected and stuff. So um, I feel as though like I want that for everybody. And that's part of why I do the work that I do is because I want people to know what's possible for them and that it's not too late. And that, you know, if they're willing to take a chance that they can connect to themselves and it looks so much better than what they what they think is possible for them now. It's funny you mentioned because <clears throat> I took ayahuasca when I was 16 years old. Oh, and I did it. There was a native Navajo nation. They came out to New Jersey and they had a teepee in the middle of the woods that they were doing. They posted it on Facebook, which was really hilarious. A friend of mine tagged me in and I went. Um, they were trying to help find your spirit animal. That was the whole purpose of the, the ritual. And I remember because the thing is, when you're in your ayahuasca trip, you don't realize that you just took ayahuasca and you're actually like lying there on the ground. You're like kind of in another world. And I kind of woke up and I saw there was a leaf. And I saw like trees were really tall and leaves were huge. And I look into this leaf and there's a little bit of water. And I look down and I notice a chipmunk's face looking back at me. And I was a chipmunk in a forest. <laughs> and I saw the, the sky above me kept on moving. Like the stars were moving really rapidly. And I kept on hearing little voices of like pockets of music kind of coming in and out. And I was kind of running through there. And by the time that I was done, I immediately like realized from there, I really have to make a, a change in my life. And then when I was two, when I was 17, I left religion completely to find out who I was. I completely came out of the closet. And it was like, I wasn't like that before. I wasn't the type of person that did any of those things. Like I was very like, I'm scared. And my life has been a whirlwind for the past six years, but it's crazy to think of where I am now than I was six years ago. I, I don't even, I don't even remember that that part of my life anymore. I remember little pockets, but are you, are you happier now? In a way, yeah. But I still, I still hear the ghost. I don't have like with Mira D. You know, like alcohol is completely out of your mind. For me, it's weird. It's still in my mind, but it's behind the door that it's so broken and brittle that if it gets one more push, it's opening up. And I have no control of what else is going to be coming out of there. Um, what does that mean? I don't know. I've never opened that door, so I don't know. I haven't opened it up in seven years. Ah, best to keep it closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of my, um, I do, there are days where I drive around and it'll be like a really nice day. And I'll be like, oh, this used to be a day where we'd go out and get margaritas at like, we wait outside of like, you know, a Mexican restaurant and chain smoke cigarettes. And then, yeah, like 11 o'clock, we'd be the first people in there. And by one, we'd be hammered. Like, I like think about that sometimes, but it's never in a way of like having like the urge, like, oh, I'm going to pull over here and like, you know, just just ask if I can sniff the bottle of tequila. It's not like that. <laughs> so. I mean, it's good though. You know, uh, human, human growth is supposed to be like this and it's supposed to be positive. And part of your work 
it is very much that is like you explained it, helping people discover what could be possible, giving them the tools to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, since I don't have a lot of, uh, I want to say a lot of comparisons, um, maybe you'd be able to speak about this. Do you believe or think that your approach to the work you do is the same as maybe others that do the, are in the same line of work? Or do you think your approach is unique to what you have learned and discovered? So I think my approach is unique to what I have learned and discovered, but I have met other tarot readers who are essentially advisors as well, like spiritual advisors versus like the fortune teller aspect of it. Um, And I think it really does come down to those of us who have done the healing, you know, and those of us who have like really taken that deep dive into what it means to make a change. Because when you make a change that deep within yourself, you, you really don't have a choice, but to like want, that for other people you really can't go back to this aspect where you're telling people about the future for money like i've met like you know i've I've met a lot of people that are like oh like there are readers that'll brag on it and be like yeah there's this lady that calls me like three times a week asking these questions and i'm just like yeah but also like at this point you're doing it for the money because you're you're feeding an addiction because people can become addicted to this type of work when you're giving them what they want to hear it can create a real anxiety and so there are I feel like there are two different realms of this work. There are the people who do this, um, who capitalize on your pain. And there are the people who recognize that the world is hurt enough. There will always be people, but the true gratification comes through helping you to heal your pain because that's, what's going to make the world a better place. And And I guess no shame necessarily on those people. Like, you know what I mean? But it's just a matter of when they become connected to themselves, they'll understand how important it is to help others connect in that way too. But I think that readers that read in that way, it's a sign of their own disconnection and stuff though too, because yeah, there's no way you can like want to want to do that to people. If you have had the experience of um, truly being connected to yourself and understanding like, the importance of other people experiencing that as well. The, and that, the, and that the, potentially can make you <clears throat> more successful. Sorry, David. The, this is an interesting point. <clears throat> and um, I had a, quite a few friends that brought this up. I was raised, Mike knows this, I was raised in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. <clears throat> and a lot of us that I have left, we don't really have that much education because of the way that we were raised. There is this type of philosophy that we are raised in is that the type of work that you do is considered idolatry, according to the places that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So the question is, do you need to believe in a religion in believing in spirituality? Because when I was raised is that there is only one type of spirituality. There's Hashem. It's called God. There's God and God is your spirituality. There's angels. There's Satan. There's hell. There's heaven. That's what I was told as being spirituality. So what happens is a lot of people think, well, that means that spirituality is only in regards to religion. Is that true or not? 
I don't believe so. I think that so the way that I describe it is spiritual. Um, it looks different for everybody. And I think that there's an issue with the trendy spiritual community giving you this idea that like it comes with soft voices and crystals and, you know, it can come with those things, but those are tools. However, what I, um, I say spiritual, I break it down like this. Spirit is who you are in essence and ritual is a practice. So spiritual is a practice of who you are. And so by following your truth, like, you know, that is what spirituality is. It's becoming more of you, like, you know, connecting to the God within you, which has nothing to do with the God of religion. Now in your realm, like you might be a religious person who also, and that can be a part of what connects you to God. That can be one of your practices as well. However, I don't think that they like really go hand in hand because I feel like a lot of religion, like Orthodox religion, straight edge religion, like all of that stuff is based in fear rather information like you know fear and ignorance versus like expansion and growth so it's more of a contractive thing versus a thing where you're learning more of like who you are as an ever expansive like human soul here so um and that's what i tell people they're like well how can i be spiritual like you well you can't be spiritual like me you got to be spiritual like you because none of us like were sent here we we were all sent here exactly as we need to be and there's so much beauty in being exactly who you are that practicing that and being in touch with that and learning to love that and accept that and to um hone the tool of who you are like that's to me that's spiritual because that's the way that you can inspire because as you inspire it's something that comes from within you and it inspires something within another person you know versus like religion where it's more of a um it's a never ending search. And I feel like it also is a thing where it's um, you're more so being told what to do and how to live rather like more being told what to do. And then again, that creates either defense or like, you know, fear and stuff like that. So I think spirituality is about how to live life here on how we can live the best life that we have in this moment right now. And I think a lot of religion points to more so how we can get a better life in the afterlife too. You know what I mean? Like, if that makes sense. Right. I, you know, I feel like as I've looked at religion and have studied uh, traditional religion, it's um, it's the, the, the desire of human beings as a species to, um, to find some kind of governance in their life. Uh, there, there's so much uncertainty and, and, and tribulation that, uh, people naturally look towards something to not just give them purpose, but uh, a, a kind of code of conduct. And you touched upon it very well, that uh, traditional religion is very much uh, based on and on fear and some forms of control. Uh, and the power that it has solely comes from the fact that there's so many people that seek this out um, when the power was always, you know, it's always been within you, the individual. Um, that's why, like, when before we began, I had mentioned, like, I am religious, but not in the traditional context. I am spiritual. Um, I have found a way to connect the two in in a unique way that resonates with me as an individual. Um, I realized that the way that I approach it uh the way that I convey it is much more meaningful. 
Um, and that's like the most important aspect of it. Um, but you're right, like they're, they're not exactly the same and each individual kind of has to discover it and, uh, and kind of build upon that. Everyone is going to be different and unique and embracing that is uh, very, very important to be able to, to grow and to be connected, finding, you know, finding people that uh, uh, like yourself, people will ask you like, well, how can I be like that? Um, well, you don't, you know, you can't be exactly like me, but if you can find a, a way to do it on your, you know, in your own unique way that is meaningful, then isn't that all that matters? Again, traditional religion is about finding the meaning of life, finding a purpose, having a, a set of rules to live by because, you know, governing yourself isn't easy. Um, it's and amazing to see that it has lasted millennia. It, it's yeah, really astonishing. You know, <clears throat> it's it's crazy and it's real and it's vibrant because religion has created this idea of how the world was created. And I'm a I believe in science. That's my philosophy in life. I that that's how I view things. And from there we know according to science, the universe is roughly around 14 billion years old. And our planet is about four billion years old. Now how was our planet formed? Just a little short intro. You had destroyed planets that got connected on this magnetic field or pulse and got pulled from all different types of directions. And as they're speeding through space, they crash against each other and morph. More starts smashing, more starts colliding, and it starts to get really hot, dense. And over time, life starts to terraform on this rock. And conditions and atmosphere starts to build. And from this over time, we've had species upon species, evolution have changed to where we are now. All of this is science, right? And we know this because this is what science has proven to us. More importantly than all of this is the fact that it's a connection. These rocks didn't come out of coincidence it was a connection where they were all coming from different directions crashing against each other the universe is constantly expanding new planets new stars new solar systems it's in a way this living breathing thing so we kind of throw away this idea of spirituality because we kind of view it as more like magic and fiction but it's how the world, and even more importantly, how the universe works. Everything is connected. Everything. Yeah. Our planet yeah. is a connection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, science is, is a tool of measurement, and it's very useful. I mean, I, I don't see them as the same thing necessarily. Like, you know, the spiritual nature of, a, of an individual, or we can call it religion, um that's again like on a individual basis but science is what governs the um the mechanics of the universe uh for the most part I, I question a lot of times like hey you know we understand 
physics to a degree. Yeah. You know, but then I say, well, the physics on Earth is predictable and we have used the measurement of science to understand it and uh, and to gauge it. But what makes us think that the same physics applies outside in the universe? Um, could it be slightly different? Could the mechanics of that be slightly different? Because, um, you know, what we have in our solar system or on this planet we have been able to test and have been able to see how things react and prove Can we say the same about other solar systems with, um, you know, two suns with, you know, many different factors that we just, Three moons. yeah, we, we don't, we don't know. We don't know for sure until we get out there to use exactly the, the measurement of science to figure out like, are the principles of physics, the same here as they are on earth it's fascinating I, yeah i agree with that because i feel like we can only base what we know on what we know you know what i mean what what's available to us here what we um can relate things to it's like i don't know trying to explain your experience like i don't know like of whatever it is you grew up with in life to someone who's never experienced it they can only relate that to um, what they know and what's real to them. You know what I mean? So in the same way as science, though, there's like, everything is so infinite that why wouldn't there be other ways? There are some laws, I believe, like, you know, there are certain laws. And I love what you said, Dave, about um, spirituality being a thing that connects everything because that's it. And I think that that's where the human race has gotten so far off is that we have just kind of leaned to one side of, oh, well, this is science and this is just what it is. And this is the like this is this is what it is because science says so but also we're not recognizing that science is just a slice of the pie you know and that spirituality needs to be there and like all these other different factors come in to really paint right. a picture whole so right like you know for example in religion where they claim well science can't prove where the big bang theory is they don't have proof where it comes from so they must be flawed but here's the thing is when you look in when you look in actual life you don't always get an answer to everything because like we both are saying science is a measurement it's always advancing we're always learning new things mm -hmm. and if you pretend that oh this is the truth and this has to be the truth forever that's a very backwards way of thinking nothing is true forever it morphs it changes evolves evolution that's what evolution is not the man came from monkey that's not what it means. It just means the <laughs> evolution of how things operate and function, depending on where it is. We I mean, evolve because of our planet. That, that's kind of the interesting thing about like quantum physics, too, is like that was created recently, or at least maybe discovered recently. And it's 30, not 33. When was 19? 1986. Uh, that was 34 years ago. 34 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, wow. maybe, yeah, 34 years ago. Oh. You were quick with that one. <laughs> oh, that's because I'm 33. So it's probably 35 years ago because I'll be 34 this year. <laughs> so oh, it's wow. probably 35. 35. Years ago. Okay. Yeah. And so it's relatively new. And that's another, you know, another form of measurement, a tool that was discovered and kind of being applied today to, uh, to try to explain things. Um, you know, 
for for Mira, like, I guess another question would be like, what do you think the relation is between human, you know, human beings, evolution, spirituality, the universe, and it's like connection, um, and maybe the a little bit of the work that you do, like, how, how do you find them all to like connect exactly? Um, is there is there some kind of correlation there? Yeah, I think they just describe different um, and not dimensions and like, you know, the in the sci fi way. But I think they describe different dimensions of like reality and stuff like that. Like, for instance, if you look at a human being, yeah, we definitely are physical. We can't forget that here on this planet, you know, otherwise, like, you know, we get ourselves in some trouble and we die. And I think that a lot of people sure. in, the, in the spiritual realm, like want to only be up here without realizing that we're having a human experience too so i think they just represent different things so we've got the physical we've got the emotional we've got the energetic um and so i think that the biggest way that they connect is that they're all actually working together and it's just like the human race um and the kind of ideas and philosophies that we have now that have separated them and made them different things like they can't be against each other they're all building blocks of reality like you can have a car all day. That's great. But if you got a car and you don't have any type of charge behind it, like then it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, you know, yeah. it's just hanging out. <clears throat> or if you got like a box fan, yeah, you can have all the mechanical parts of a box fan, but until you plug that into an energy source, it's useless, you know? And so they all, they all um, depend on each other. And so I think that part of what the work that I do, like when I do finally open up my wellness center is I want to have, um, spiritual healers there. I want to have plant medicine workers, but I also want to have psychologists and doctors there as well, because we've just gotten into this big battle where it's like everything is against each other without, but you can't, you can't like do surgery on everything, which is kind of the way that it is now. Um, you can't just plant medicine, everything, you know, so recognizing that. Yeah. But there's also, these- yeah, but there's also a new thing now. And I, I know this cause I spoke to somebody about this recently. There are doctors, medical doctors that have gone to school for eight years that recommend to cancer patients to smoke cannabis and will help them with the ability to go to get their medical documents and both get their medical cards. The only thing is, but this is this is a medical doctor. Why on earth would he prescribe it? Because it has nothing to do with the fact that it's the plant man. You know, you get. It's a herb that has healing. It has medicinal properties. And as a doctor, they want to research it and see if it can work for their patients. So I totally get that perspective. It's like it, it has nothing to do with the spiritual and then the Native Americans using it. It just has to go down to medicinal properties. You believe in medicinal properties. You believe in medicinal properties. You come from a medical perspective. You come from a spiritual perspective. It doesn't matter. It's I the same that. outcome. I can speak about this a little bit, though. I can say that, uh, like, in the 90s, what they discovered was the first thing being that, you know, chemo patients were having trouble keeping food down. And after you go through chemo, your, you know, your immune system just has a massive shock. I mean, chemo kills every cell um, to the point where, like, it's just survival mode at this point. Like, if you survive the destruction of your cells... Um, in the in the end result being like trying to kill the cancer uh, now 
the immune system needs to rebuild and re-strengthen to, to actually keep the body alive. Um, one way they discovered was like, okay, cannabis works for this because it stimulates appetite. Um, without it, people would try to eat and then vomit it back up. And so they're not getting nutrients. So that was one of the factors of why maybe medical professionals looked at it. It's also the cannabinoids. It's It's been studied that a lot of the cannabinoids in cannabis were really useful uh, for cancer patients. There, there's something there that uh, that helps um, rejuvenate the immune system as well. Like a lot of this study will come out eventually. It's been decades of study there. Um, like we've talked about CBD and that'll, that'll be part of the next season for sure. But um, one of the things that, you know, cannabidiol will do is activate um, a specific system in, in the human body called the endocannabinoid system. And it's intric intricately linked to various other parts of the body, um, the nervous system, the immune system, the digestive system. It's so like, that's probably some of the stuff they discovered early on, though they can't, you know, again, you need FDA approval to even say like, hey, it does this. So they don't have those approvals, but they sense that there's something there in the research. Uh, but all in all, like to what Mira was saying, like they shouldn't be battling each other. There's, there, there's use cases. Some will be beneficial. Some may not be like finding the right balance to help people heal is, should be the, the only goal. You know, it, it shouldn't be a for-profit industry, in my opinion, and maybe that's for a whole nother season altogether. You know, um, big, big pharmaceutical companies make so big much pharma. money. Yeah, they, they make so much money treating uh, versus curing. Uh, and curing might be uh, maybe a, a difficult task for certain things, but there's definitely, <laughs> there's no, there's definitely no recurring revenue in curing disease but treating it means you can be on that gravy train for a very very long time um and then obviously getting into just the the shit that we put into our bodies i mean that that facilitates and accelerates a lot of the uh, disease that we see today um it's unbelievable to think like if you ever wonder or i mean it goes through my mind I consider just how like how evil can these people truly be uh, but maybe it's the inevitable evolution of production right you know as populations grow production needs to uh, exceed demand to some degree and from those practices of production there it may not be entirely safe it's as long as it's safe within parts per million a certain parts per million then it's okay to be putting this in your body but when you put this shit into your body for your entire life like is that where we're seeing cancer come from or various other diseases so i i mean i don't know it's well, the thing the thing is you know society is the key and society among you know the last living species of man you know uh, the human race is homo sapiens we started when we could speak and learn to communicate with language. So we now have this ability of that. Now we can actually talk to each other. 
<clears throat> and more importantly, create groups of people with different skills to survive. So we figured out how to kind of adapt with our surroundings. And again, connected speech is a connection so that people can understand one another and also have the skills and tools to make things and allow others to see what you can offer them. We always, we've always been a very connected society. We constantly disregard this idea, the power of spiritual healing, like our horoscope, our readings. And, you know, we're kind of told this whole thing that it's nothing but fiction, but it's not fiction. It's not telling you your future or exact information. You only know all that you know, and all it's telling you is your connection and what is possible of the outcome. The thing is, we of humans have evolved over, I'd say, in the past 20 to 25,000 years to the point that we are now. And in that time frame, we've had all of these advancements and growths and all of these types of different things. And you said this before, Meredy, which is we are as disconnected as humanly possible as we can be. There's so much separation to the point that even the most rural of places are becoming disconnected because their businesses are being destroyed and they're kind of being disrupted. So kind of going back to this, what makes us humans and what has allowed us to survive the past 400,000 years of our evolution, we are eliminating from our lives the thing that created us and allowed us to be who we are today. We are disconnecting from it so mm-hmm. what do you th- what do you think would be the possible outcome in the future if this wasn't changed with or without tarot card <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um no um so i was actually i actually just made a video today about that or whatnot just talking about how what was my video about well i'll talk about how i feel about it so the outcome is basically if you have a car let's bring it back to the car you don't just car. decide that you're going to put water in the oil pan because it's Wednesday. Because guess what happens to that car if you do that? It's going to break the fuck down. Like, that's what's going to happen to it. Like, <laughs> so we have to look at that, too, is that if we are getting all these unnatural diseases and stuff like that, cancer, uh, depression is an epidemic. Anxiety, like, you know, is an epidemic right now. It's like if this is happening, we need to look at where we're disconnecting from nature, you know. And I think that that's what it really comes down to is that we're trying to um, leave behind something that we're a part of. And you can't do that, especially when like, we're not just a part of the earth, the whole universe is connected. Like you can't just decide you're not going to be a part of something that you live in. Like that's just super weird. <laughs> but kind of like, like kind of like putting water into the oil pan instead of actual oil. Yeah. It's all, I mean, you still connected, but now you're just putting stuff where it don't go. And now because of that, you having these weird adverse effects and everybody is like, why is this happening? I don't know. Maybe because like we're putting trash into like, you know, bodies, we're living in a system that's not built for the human spirit. As Russell Brand said, like, you know, we're, um, doing all instead of eating like vegetables and things that come from the earth, we're eating a diet of ramen noodles, like Maruchin, like, you know, every day of the week. And like you said, it's okay to have like this in moderation. However, like when this is your lifestyle, like you're locked inside, you're not getting any sunlight, you're not touching people or hugging people or connecting, like, you know, it creates disease. And um, 
I think we are. I think we're getting better, though. Like, and that's something I was going to say about, like, the kind of working together of, like, the physical, the spiritual and all of that stuff, like science and religion and spirituality. I think we are getting to a point where we're starting to see improvements. Um, You can tell by, like, the different things that are popping up around. Like, they've got, like, you know, scientific research studies and stuff now, MDMA and on um, psilocybin and things like that. And, like, on... um, like a lot of like doctors are including like Reiki and stuff for cancer patients as far as like energy work goes. Also, you you know this when we had the dawn of Aquarius for the first time since 1969, which was last year. And I remember I don't know if it was you or there was a bunch of people who were writing and saying that the last time that the dawn of Aquarius hit the sky, we had this entire change of our society. Things started to actually get better until Nixon. Satan, you better be <laughs> taking good care of him. Uh, but <laughs> we we've starting to see that now. It's like the dawn of Aquarius happened, and now we're starting to see all the shifts. People are stopping believing in politics and the government. People are starting to try to work more together. I've been seeing there are a lot of more organizations trying to keep small businesses alive in the United States. There's now doctors that are trying to work with the cannabis industry, and there's societies that are being built around this. It's all happening, and less than a year since the summer i see that and i think that like what the future holds as far as that goes like really i feel like a lot of things are coming to the light and i don't think it's getting worse like people were like oh it's getting so much worse i'm like this is this stuff has been happening a lot of stuff is just coming to the light now and before we do any type of like real change we have to purge first you know this from being in an ayahuasca ceremony (laughs) With the powwow dancers. Oh, God. (laughs) And so it's like you have to, like, make room for the new stuff. And so things have to come to light. And then you can start to feel better when you got to throw up on a normal day. It's like you can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to ignore this burger and pretend like I didn't eat it. And like, it's not making my stomach hurt. No, you got to get that out so you can start feeling better. You don't want to see it like, you know, or anything like that. But it's there and you have to to move forward. So I think that while there is a lot of like fear and there's a big push for more separation and stuff like that, when it comes to creating all these subgroups and all these labels and all these like just different things, like different ways to separate. um, I think that the bigger goal is to try to keep people from realizing that we have a human race issue, um, which is the thing is we, we need to um, on all levels, science and spirituality on like a human level, like all that stuff, like draw back together. So honestly, I feel like it's going to get hard for the next, like, you know, couple of years, but that's just what growth does. Like, you know, we're watching a whole old system fall apart and we're watching something new grow like a butterfly, like caterpillars. When they go into a cocoon, they don't turn into like, you know, um, as my landlord says, she says, you know, they don't turn into like they don't disassemble themselves neatly. They turn into complete goo and then they come Re- back out. And hold reconstruct themselves. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like know. my landlord left me with that wisdom, my, my friend. And so like it really put into perspective how it is. Like, you know, we think it's going to be like this really neat and beautiful. like just tinker something here. No, a whole system has to fall apart. But I do see a lot more connection and a lot more, um, community and a lot more of these things getting on the same page it's just gonna be a little ugly on the way there because we're not used to seeing all of this we're comfortable and we don't want to as much as we want change we also 
don't like discomfort. So it can seem a little, a little ugly. Yeah. yeah. That's just the way life is, isn't it? I mean, uh, human beings in general don't like discomfort or change. You said that Never. before, but it's, uh, you know, like a lot, one of the lessons I've taken away from my psychedelic experiences is that, um, you have to embrace discomfort. You, um, you in a lot of ways have to accept the fact that, you know, great changes come with, um, with a great deal of pain as well. Uh, it's going to be painful. Um, and if we're talking one individual, the, the scope of the pain or the scale of the pain, um, is bad. But when we're talking about a global, um, infrastructure completely collapsing, like that's incredibly painful. It's, uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, blood in the streets as they say, but not literally, uh, and something much better will come out of it. And a big, a big part of it is understanding. I think for, for people that if we can learn to embrace some of these principles we've talked uh, talked about, if people can embrace their communities and each other a little bit better, that uh, we'll have a little more control over what that might look like, what that outcome might look like uh, when we finally do uh, kind of surpass the, the collapse of the old system and going into the new one. Um, and it, it would be quite beautiful to, to see what, you know, what may come out of it. Um, I, I'm hopeful, but it's going to take time, like you said, uh, potentially years. So it's it's really incredible to uh, to kind of look at it from this perspective. And both both of you have great perspectives on this um, on the topic in general. It's all about your outlook, and it's all about what a person perceives. I've mentioned this a few times, and everybody thinks I'm crazy. I said that I am a believer that Joe Biden might be the very last president of the United States, nothing negative or anything like that. The reason I say that is we are starting to see the effects of these types of controlling parties and people more and more are seeing the damages that it can cause, not only cutting off the connection of people, but also separating, basically putting one person against the other person just based on your belief system. Why should two people hate each other? Because one's a conservative and one's a liberal. But I'm a liberal. I believe in the freedom of the future. And this person believes in his old fanny, you know, Southern traditions. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're allowed to have your own type of perspective. It shouldn't put the, a person against each other. And I think people are realizing that yeah, more yeah. than ever. It's okay to have different, uh, different beliefs or, you know, different views or in the same you know same respect like um these, these are all just political things i mean people are people right like what you want um could very well be similar to what i want and what the next person wants what mira wants i mean prosperity health um happiness the 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 pursuit of whatever it is that uh, you may want uh and just um and just better communities for you know our children to go uh, to grow up in as well. I mean, that's that's a human desire. It it shouldn't be politicized in the way that we've seen it over the last uh, 
several years. I agree with that. And I think that like part of it is that people, again, back to disconnection, people are so disconnected from who they even are that they need something to give them meaning. Like, you know, they don't have meaning on their own. So they need um, a political viewpoint. They need like, you know, to stand up for this thing or to do this thing or that thing to give them to make them feel valid in the world, but you're already valid outside of any belief that you have or anything like that. And in case y'all haven't noticed, the universe is super creative. Like, have you seen all the different types of animals and bugs and plants and things and sounds that they make and fruits that they make? Like the universe is creative. That sounds like a a song. Is that a horse (laughs) with no name by America? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I heard that before. (laughs) <laughs> the universe is quite beautiful. I mean, and the creation of, of life on this planet is also very, very beautiful. So very, very advanced. Unique. I mean, everything so- is alive. We, we, I don't think our, I don't think people quite understand this yet, but everything is alive. Everything. Um, you know, I had to take DMT a couple of times to kind of, for the first time, recognize that I've never had a compound like this that repeated the experience number one and the geometry that i was exposed to really kind of broadened my understanding of like or or my perception of the physical world like it's just everything everything that we see or touch is alive in one form or another energy is real Absolutely. I like I like to call it the uh, the hemidexal. It's a type of sphere that it's triangular triangular at all sh- all sides, but also has squares that intertwine one another. And there are circles that sit right on top of it, and right below it, you have a sphere that's right inside. Uh, sorry, this is a little hard to understand. Are you talking <laughs> about like sacred geometry? That's kind no, of no, no, no. I'm I'm talking about having where it's different shapes and forms formed into one piece, but each piece is kind of like a puzzle. So without the circle being in that point with the the square on one side and the triangle on the other, it can actually intertwine and and click. It's kind of like one of those puzzles of where you need to have each piece at a specific point. Otherwise it just falls apart. So knowing the pieces at hand and knowing on how to put the puzzle together, knowing the shape, and what connects everything, I think is also another important thing that people need to understand. I call it the hemidexal. You can call it whatever you want, but we is all have the proper have those... term for it. No, that's I... <laughs> <laughs> but I like I feel you both on that. And like I like with the universe being creative, like I was saying, like that we're not meant to be alike. We're not meant to be the same. And I think that that's where the beauty is. But also everything is alive. Like I remember in my first like it's like I've always known that. But when you like take a psychedelic and you get to like full on experience how you are everything and how you're connected to everything, that's a whole nother beast there. And like I just think that that's beautiful. And one of the things um, I was going to say about the future as well is that for real, one of the things that I've learned is that we really shouldn't be super concerned with an outcome. We should just be concerned with, in my opinion, we should just be concerned with doing the best that we can 
right now. Like I have a lot of friends that are like, you know, oh, well, the human race, like it's a lost cause. Like, you know, all hope is gone. And then friends that are like, you know, got this on and are like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to go out. I'm going to save it, save us in this spiritual war. And it's like, but at the end of the day, like what we should be doing is regardless of an outcome, because we can't control that. Like, you know, especially individually, we should just be doing our very best here now with what we can, what can right. we change now? How can we make an impact at this moment? Something that's like, you know, as simple and as amazing as this podcast is going to make the impact that it needs to make where it needs to. And we can't be like, well, I'm going to make this podcast because in 50 years, like I'm going to save the world single handedly. Like yeah. <laughs> it has to be, but and again, th- back to being, sorry, coming back to being connected we have to understand that we're not alone here doing any of this work that right. all of us are a part of it and, and beyond. So the, the interesting thing about humans are, I mentioned this before, we're not the only species of humans that existed. I mean, humans have been around for a millennia, but about 400,000 years ago, there was a species which we're called as homo sapiens. And people like to think, well, we survived because we were advanced and incredible. The only reason why we survived was we had the ability and the techniques to actually survive. We realized that when it's cold, you need fur and you need <laughs> to know how to make a fire. You know, we realize all of these things as homo sapiens. So it's not like, you know, that we're like the conquerors and the saviors of this planet. We only survived because we happen to have developed the skills that have happened to able to keep us alive that 400,000 years. So you got to remember that too. Like you're saying, like you cannot predict the outcome, just like our outcome in many ways does not make any sense. Even though we are alive today, you never know. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, I like your theory on Biden being the last president and stuff though, too. Cause like, I like, I just feel like there's a lot to like, you know, we have to understand that like, there's just a lot that's going to change because there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work anymore. Like it just don't. And that was part of what I was putting in um, my video today is I said that we left nature, we left the universe to basically go and, you know, trust a bunch of billionaires and politicians and people who don't have the best interest of like, you know, the human race and the human soul, like at heart. And so it's like, we are, I think we're moving to the point now where we're getting back to nature and we're recognizing that that's where the separation is and stuff though, too. And we're getting to a point where we're learning to uh, trust that because I mean, nature has everything else like nature, the universe, like, God, whatever, has got everything else in the universe. Like, you know, the grass grows on its own. The sun, I don't think it's ever forgotten to rise, like not once in the history of time. So it's like, why not trust something like that that's reliable and um, that has the best interests of all creations at heart rather than like some dude who got a billion dollars and just decided that like this is what he, that he, this is what he wants you to do. Like, you know, it's just a matter of that. And um. I think that's the importance of getting in touch with ourselves, though, too, is because when you know who you are on a spiritual level and on every level, as much as you can in this moment, as we're ever changing and evolving, then you don't need these outside things to tell you what's wrong or what's right. So like similar to how we were talking about, Dave, um, we were talking about how like we have this like this intuition, like this knowing of what to do, like what direction to go, like kind of like 
you can also see things. you can also see like the things happening. You know, we had recently now with the Afghan the Af- Afghanistan with the whole war that's been going on, and people are like, oh, okay, whatever. It's a really big thing because this is the first time in you in United States history that not only have we pulled out of a war, we saw the same. We saw more than the Vietnam War. We saw that we wasted twenty years of human resources and our taxes. We see it. We know it. And now their country is falling apart. And it's like, well, it's America's fault. No, it's not. We shouldn't have gotten involved 20 years ago. We know now that we should have never gotten involved. And a lot of innocent people died for no reason. People are now seeing this more than the Vietnam War. We see it on television, podcasts, live views, people's phones showing what's going on over there. We see that this idea of having politicians in government, having this control and saying what we do when we can't is damaging our economy and it's destroying the people of this country. It is. And the, and the globe, of course, it's of not course. just, it's not just our country. It's um, but you know, in defense to the, to the, to the situation, like not, not every, how can I put this where we don't, we don't piss off a bunch of people, you know, um, I still, I'm still concerned about China specifically. If we're going to talk about that aspect of politics, like, yeah, it's great um, that we can recognize, like, we shouldn't be doing these types of things. But if we choose not to get involved, there's going to be countries that do. And I don't trust our government I trust the Chinese government even less. Just saying. Yeah, because look at look at China. You know, um, throughout history, the Chinese dynasties, they were always a very connected people, extremely connected. They were able to build things. I mean, think about it. They invented gunpowder and paper. So many incredible things that we use, we use even now. But once they industrialized and once Maoism took over, once they had this socialistic, quote unquote, communism, the country became foul, industrialized, separated, dirty, corrupted to the point now that unfortunately so many Chinese, they're suffering. They live worse than cockroaches, literally worse than cockroaches. And nobody in the country seems to give a damn. There's over a billion people in that country, and it's like, oh, well, you're going to die anyway from all your diseases. Why should we care? Wow, yeah, that's I mean, horrible. Yeah. I mean, look, the corruption here is bad. Think about how bad it is there, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is why, you know, it's the recognition that, hey, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be invading countries. We shouldn't be making up reasons to, to go abroad and occupy for false reasons. I mean – Afghanistan has about a trillion plus dollars in natural resources, mineable resources. I I question why are we pulling out now? And of course, the decision was made over a year ago that we were pulling out. But I don't think it was ever, uh, I don't think uh, even in the last administration, the the decision was to pull out in this fashion. Um, But the the power vacuum is very real like what that's going to create for the region is 
more instability and chaos and like if you think we're bad at war and the the methods that we use um when we do occupy countries um i would say like not to be a pessimist but i think the oppressive nature of the chinese government and their willingness to use that um that military might that they're probably very eager to test out um it could be easily you know tenfold just much much worse um so it's it's just really it's a tricky situation um, i think i think the biggest Meredith, you can correct me if i'm wrong i think the biggest war element that we have today is disease disease yeah. is a way of not only controlling people via fear but it's also a way of stripping people of humanity because now you have to rely on something to keep you safe and be unsick um i I'm, I'm very i'm very open about this i'm very against the way that this pandemic has been taken to account the way that things have been done i mean my dad died because of this pandemic and it's just baffling where it's become like, oh, we're sick. So here's stuff here, here, vaccines, take this, do this, do that. Wear masks, this, 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 you know, protect yourself. And it's like, we didn't, we don't have like any type of connections anymore. A lot of us mm-hmm. work at home. Mm-hmm. We connect via Zoom. Like this is become a reality now it's breaking the human soul like and this is further in the separation and then when like with this whole thing it's like okay yeah we're being given all these things and things are thrown at us but nobody's thrown health at us hey eat better like hey get sunlight hey do these things it's like it's definitely being used in a way for control and i think also like just like i personally think that like you know with the social distancing and stuff like that to begin with like the human soul was broken, you know, because we're separated. We're social creatures. We're meant to interact with each other. So we're not allowed to touch each other. People are so scared to touch even their own family members and stuff. But I mean, and I'm not sure how y'all feel about it though, but like when I'm wearing a mask and this is what you're pushing the most, but I'm in Whole Foods touching the same apples as all these people. Like, I don't really feel that safe. It doesn't make that, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so while I think that disease, like disease is, a huge way to control people. It really is. It puts people in fear. And I think that that is only, um, that that's only, it only works because our, our civilization, our um, culture is terrified of dying. Like, whereas like, you know, indigenous cultures and other cultures celebrate, like, you know, um, death is like a welcome part of life. Like we're terrified of that. And so I think that that's part of it. Um, But I also think that, I also think that like when it comes to uh, disease and stuff like that, while we're afraid of this, how do I put this? We're afraid of this one specific disease, but we're not afraid that we're killing ourselves every day by eating ridiculous amounts of McDonald's and fast food and processed stuff. And so to me, it's, it's just like such a, such a like glimpse at how our long-term like um, awareness isn't there like as a as a culture as a society our long-term awareness isn't there we're you know we've been harming ourselves this whole time but then all of a sudden this sudden thing pops up and it's super duper scary for everybody to the point that it is really creating a lot more separation and stuff because it went from you know oh social distancing to like you know oh well 
vaccinated versus non wait maskers and non-maskers and then like you know vax versus non-vax and things like that so like it's just becoming like this another way to like kind of separate people separate things i I went to i went to a festival a few weeks ago and it was about 100 people nobody was wearing masks or anything like that uh no one really knew who was vaccinated or who wasn't and for literally three days i felt like it was before the pandemic and i don't know how to explain this but it was kind of like euphoria but in a good but in a good way um now that that has surpassed i kind of cling on to it you know you you want you want that so badly um I try to respect people's opinions, but to be honest, I've gotten to a point where this needs to stop. It really needs, like, people are panicking and going crazy, and it's just... There's a lot of PTSD, too, from, like, this whole thing. Like, people that can't go back to their normal lives are, like, really stuck in fear. and People who are, like, afraid to, like, they've even gotten vaccinated the thing that they thought would make them feel safe, yet they're still afraid to leave their houses or touch family members or do anything that is a normal human activity. Yeah. 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 All of it just keeps uh, uh, furthering the divide um, between um, having that connection. I mean, it's makes, you know, not to be so conspiracy type of thought or, but I mean, you know, is it is it on purpose, you know, to continue to divide people, to continue to um, put a wedge uh, between our ability to connect physically, changing um, changing our behaviors so that um, we can't necessarily, you know, level up spiritually? It's Well, I agree with you on a lot of points there because, I mean, like people have called it a pandemic and stuff like that. And as I was saying, like the closer we get to like reconnecting and depending on like the great mother earth and depending on like the universe, the less we have, we're not going to, we're going to end up not dependent on these billionaires, these people that are running it. You know what I mean? So like, that's where the fear comes in. So it's like the push, push, push to like, you know, try to you know, um, it's just like the push to try to get like to keep people in this state of disconnection and this state of fear so that you do have to depend on these um, these things and people. And it has caused a lot of damage. Um, you were saying something that really rang a bell to me. Oh, but that's what I was saying um, is that it really shows a lot about the power of the human spirit, because if you have a worm. You're not going to put that worm in a cage. He's like super harmless. Like he's not going to do anything. But if you have a tiger, you're going to what? Declaw him. You're going to like, you know, take out his teeth. You're going to make sure you got like sedation stuff around, chain him up because he's dangerous and his full power. He's actually dangerous. And so when I look at the human soul and the amount of work that goes through trying to keep us repressed and the amount of like work that goes through trying to keep us separated, it means that we are truly powerful when we're united and we're truly powerful when we know who we are. So those are two things that I really focus on here is I'm like, all right, I need to 
regardless of what else is going on in the world, I need to stay connected to myself because there's such a fight. It's everywhere. Like you can see it everywhere to keep us divided from not just like, you know, each other, but from nature and from ourselves as well. Yeah. it's God, it's crazy. We, we, we've been doing this for two hours. Um, this has been, wow. This has just been an absolute experience. This has been incredible. Thank you so much, Meredith, for being a part of the last episode of season two. So thank you uh, for joining us. Thank y'all for having me out here. This has been a blast and y'all are just both super tight. And I'm like, <laughs> it's Mike and Dave been out for two years, for not two years, <laughs> Look. <laughs> but two hours. <laughs> so anyways, guys, we had fun. It was groovy. We also got lost in the groove. Uh, like always, thank you so much for our sponsor anchor. And please, please, please check out our Patreon page. So you can actually have a chance to be one of our next special guest stars on this podcast. Uh, Our name on Patreon is Lost in the Groove. Thank you guys so much for listening. You guys have a great day. Peace.